Hi, everybody. I'm Father Nathan. Welcome to this episode of the Joyful Friar podcast. When I started this podcast, one of the things that I knew I wanted to do, in addition to having guests, was to go into the stories of some of the people I've met over the years who have come in the night, presented a dream, usually describing briefly their violent sudden death, and moving through those stories, you can, any of these stories that I'm doing on the podcast are ones that I've gotten permission to use by the people that first brought this story. And they are included in my two Afterlife Interrupted books. Uh, the first one, the subtitle is Helping Stuck Souls Cross Over. And the second one that has a big two on it, on the cover, uh, just says Helping Souls Cross Over. We cross through the word stuck as we realized that not all of them were so much stuck in an afterlife um, first level, if you will, therapeutic level. They weren't stuck. They just were getting extra care because they needed extra care, but mostly because of the, the uh, sudden violent way in which they died. Well, today I want to share a story with you that is in the first of the two books. It's a favorite of mine, but it's not one that I talk about a lot when I'm guesting on other people's podcasts. Uh, it's called Don and First Responder Ralph. So in this, we'll do three episodes of the podcast on Don and Ralph's story. Today, I really mostly want to just relate the story to you. Those of you uh, who already know it, maybe I'll, I'll just be jogging your memory, but I know there'll be people watching and listening who've not heard this story at all. So this goes back almost six years now to April 17th of 2017. I'm asleep and I began receiving what I call a contact dream. It wasn't just my own psychobabble recycling itself or whatever it is is going on in our normal dreaming. But this was contact from someone trying to get my attention and asking for my help and the help of my prayer partners. Here's the story as I received it. I'm a young man in the rear seat of a four-door sedan driving slowly through a freeway construction zone. Ahead, a large cement beam from a crane above the traffic comes into my view. It looked dangerous. Suddenly, the beam fell to the ground. It seemed not to crush anyone, but... It hit some construction materials stacked near the roadway, and it began a domino effect, succession of collapses moving toward our car. I opened the door and tried to run to safety, and I awoke. Well, by the time I received this dream in 2017, I had been having such dreams for more than 20 years. Um, so I did what I typically do. I wrote it down in my dream journal. I scheduled a time to be with a prayer partner or two, and then went into protected prayer with St. Michael the Archangel, uh, Holy Mary, St. Benedict, uh, Padre Pio, a number of uh, St. Dominic. I have, usually I name about 15 to 20 of the saints and angels that I want to, to ask to come and surround us 
and help us to uh, be in the Holy Spirit and be um, unbothered by any negative uh, influence. Well, this one, the thing that was unusual about it is I forgot to press record on the button on my iPhone. I usually use an app where I take a, a recording of the sound of the conversation going back and forth. Many of these are done on Zoom, especially during the pandemic. This one was pre-pandemic. So this one might have been live uh, with, with all the principal players in the room. But I forgot to hit record. So I on this one, I had to rely upon my memory of it, which I think was was clear as I read back over it. Uh, I, I think I, had, I remembered it and wrote it down uh, quite well. But this one is a little different in that the, the protagonist, the person who died in the story, was so angry at the time that he told us the story that sometimes it was hard for him to get his thoughts out clearly. Have you ever had that problem? You ever been so angry at something in the moment that you could just, you all you could do was stammer or couldn't quite make logical sense? Well, unfortunately, this young man lived in that state for some time because he could see the tragedy that took his life unfolding as though in slow motion. When he he was installed or, or very slowly moving traffic in a freeway construction zone and everything about it looked dangerous. And then not only did it look dangerous, but became dangerous uh, and took his life violently. So he was really angry at all kind of people in a kind of abstract way. Who, who was responsible? Who let this happen? And in his, uh, his afterlife, that was front and center. Just this anger kind of took over everything. So, uh, but we know that when people are brought into our line, if you will, by the time they get to where we are, their care team on the other side has found them ready or nearly ready to leave a level of therapeutic, um, it's not exactly resting in peace, but coming to peace of some kind, such that they're capable of moving on to a next afterlife level that's more fun, more uh, engaging and, and not so therapeutic. Anyway, when he came through, um, I invited him to to borrow my voice in order to explain himself to my prayer partner. It was hard for me to get his name, which is uncommon. Usually when I ask for the person's name, they move into me and I begin to see it or hear it or something, sense it, know it. And in his case, it was kind of confusing. I, I heard, uh, I, I thought I heard German it's a G name with a soft G sound, or is it a D? Um, I didn't want to shout at him, um, but um, I didn't know what to, to do other than try to listen a little bit more carefully. Eventually, he was able to tell me that he went by different names. His given name was actually Germain. Well, when I heard the name Germain, the first name that came to mind for me was Jermaine Jackson, Michael Jackson's brother. And I didn't know any other Germains, um, not, neither here nor there. I just kind of stored that fact off to the side. But I also got D and Don. Uh, 
and it, it turned out that he went by a number of different names, but in the end, we settled upon Don. It turned out that Don was 27 years old. He had gone out to a working lunch with some people from his office. He was seated in the rear passenger side of this vehicle. Um, he did come through, and I I, re I just kind of tried to uh, to say with him that, um, or you know, being co-conscious with him, uh, th that I thought I was in a small or I was in a large Southern city. I thought it might've been Charlotte or maybe Atlanta. I grew up near Houston and during my whole lifetime, that city has grown and grown so that the roads are never really finished. They're always insufficient. They're always being widened or new freeways are being opened and so on. And it felt like such a place, which would have been why uh, maybe it was being widened even while it was in use. Anyway, the bottom line was he was enraged. And in his afterlife, his response to his circumstance had a couple of components to it. One of them was just this rage that was so noisy. He hardly ever heard anything but the sound of his own voice. And it was his reality was sort of like being inside something metal where there was always banging sounds, but the banging was always banging that he was making. He was so angry that he was just making these sharp, angry sounds, and he could hardly hear anything else. I remember we asked him, did you get to know your guardian angel at all? And he said, I, 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 if he was talking to me, I, I couldn't hear him. I couldn't hear anything but the sound of my own anger. Well, apparently, eventually, that began to uh, de-escalate some to the point that he got a little bit better. But he was in something of a trauma loop, you know, having that awful visual visual of thinking you might be in danger seeing the collapse of a bunch of material coming toward him leaving the car and trying to flee on foot only to be crushed and, and die after that there was another peculiarity of the way that he endured his death and reacted to it his body was crushed and his face in particular he called it a bloody mess it turns out that more than most people his age, he paid a lot of attention to his personal appearance, his grooming, his demeanor, his dress. Uh, all of them were quite polished. So when he saw that his life ended in this kind of freeze frame of his body being crushed and his face being a, a bloody pulp, he was horrified. And he really couldn't get that idea out of his head. He kept going over it again and again and again. What a bloody mess he was. When he began to be to understand that he had been largely isolated since that time, and that time was still moving, and afterlife, whatever afterlife time is like, was still moving, that he was stuck, he began to... to understand that that was self-imposed that he continued to loop around this one thought and wouldn't leave it alone of what a bloody mess he was um we ended up being able to talk with him back and forth about that and eventually to to learn a little bit of how he was coached through that the people who worked with him in the afterlife struck upon the fact that there were moments in his life 
where he really brightened by getting all dressed up. Maybe you've gone to a prom or a Valentine's dance that was a formal in high school or in college or in a fraternity sorority. Uh, some occasion, maybe a wedding, where you get out your best clothes and uh, put a whole lot more effort into your hair or makeup or whatever your physical appearance. Well, he remembered doing that and having his picture taken before some formal dates in high school and how proud he was of how he looked. Well, in the afterlife, one of the things they told him was, well, yes, it's true that you did die with your face a bloody mess, but you know here it doesn't have to be that way. And we they wondered if he would like to play around a bit with other ways that he could appear to be. So they in the afterlife, he was given access to something like the costume department uh, that was unlimited. And he was given access to see how had he been a man born in other different times and places in history, that he might have worn a powdered wig or a ruffled collar. Uh, so he said it was just something that it occurred to him to do that he enjoyed doing. It felt good to him to see himself looking good after what he went through. Isn't that interesting? When Jesus says, in my father's house, there are many mansions, did you ever think that any of them might contain the costume department of a theater? A very well-equipped one. That was just what Don needed. He just, the therapy he needed more than anything was to just perceive himself to look good again. Can you imagine that? Can you understand how that just might be very important to a person? All the other talky therapy things that might have helped him weren't as important as him being able to dress himself any way he pleased and to admire himself looking good after having died with his body such a bloody mess. Anyway, he told us eventually that he said, I know I'm not going to do this for all eternity. It's just a little bit of fun that I'm having right now. It occurred to me to do it, and I'm doing it, and I'm enjoying it. So that at least got him out of that constant looping and anger and so on, and he at least could have a positive view of himself. I think that's important, don't you? Well, the interesting thing is when it came time for us to help him move along, he he was adamant that he didn't want to welcome a companion to guide him into his next afterlife phase who was somebody that he already knew. He was going back to that idea of looking ugly and, and like a bloody mess. And he said, I don't want anybody to see me like this. And then he also added something I thought was really insightful. He said, and I also don't want anybody to see me this angry. He didn't say it in one sentence, but what he was communicating was the ugliness of his distorted facial features, the bloody mess of his face was ugly but so was the, de the degree of his anger, that his anger was so enraging, he didn't want anybody to have to look at the ugliness of his, uh, ugliness of his anger either. Hmm. So I don't think he had to be coaxed by me or by a prayer partner. Did the Holy Spirit give him an idea? 
something popped into his head and here's what it was said i don't want it to be anybody that knew what i looked like to have to see me like this i don't want it to be anybody at all that knew me before but he said aren't there people that do this for a living aren't there people who see bloody messes as a part of their jobs like ambulance drivers or police that are first on the scene of crimes or maybe people that work in emergency rooms aren't there people that are just used to seeing the nasty gross mess of bodies that have just been through a trauma like he had been he said i wouldn't mind it so much if somebody i didn't know who did that kind of thing for a living came for me isn't that clever we'll go into a couple of other uh, future podcasts on his story but can you imagine yourself thinking more creatively about your own present circumstance than you have until now if there's any way in which you're stuck in some kind of thought loop that's not getting you anywhere or maybe that's even making you sad could you do what he did could you i don't know I'm, i don't even like that phrase think outside the box because it's not thinking outside the box. It's such, it's so trite. It's been overdone, but you get the point to have a new thought. He had a new thought and thought, okay, well, but there are people, if I'm a bloody mess, there are people that are used to seeing bloody messes. I wouldn't mind if somebody who is used to seeing bloody messes came for me. And oh my God, that was the key that turned the lock. We just said, great idea. Have you ever asked for that? And he said, no. So my prayer partner said, well, why don't we just ask if God would send just the right person who wouldn't be appalled or grossed out by seeing you in a bloody state? Would that be all right? And he said yes to it. Now, here's the wild and crazy part. I just love heaven. <laughs> I just love God. And I love the creativity of heaven. And it just goes beyond most of what I would imagine. But the person who came for him was not some afterlife saint, some whole collected um, professional escort of any kind. The person who came was also a person who died traumatically and who had also not made much progress since then. The person who came was an, an EMT, an ambulance worker, driver, named Ralph. Ralph showed up and we only spoke to him a minute to, to say hi and said, well, Don needs a ride. He's been through an accident and he needs to get from here to someplace better. And Ralph said, well, that must be why they called me because I drove an ambulance. I'm used to picking up people off the highway and getting them where they need to be. And we said, well, tell us about you. And he, and he said, why do, why do you think you've just been called? And he said, I don't know. The last thing that happened to me was I was in my ambulance and I got rammed, T-boned, he said, by a teenage driver who didn't hear the siren because he had earbuds in and was listening to music while he was driving. He didn't hear the siren and he rammed right into my um, ambulance and killed me. So we thought, you mean you haven't even done, you haven't even finished your own crossing and you're already being asked to help somebody else? And he said, sounds like it. I was in a deep sleep and my pager went off. Isn't that crazy? He was used to having his pager go off. So was I. I, as a priest, 
I very often have had in my career, I had to take a turn one night of the week, maybe having a pager on the nightstand in case the local hospital had an emergency call for a Catholic priest. Uh, especially if the hospital was a trauma center, there might be a Catholic that was involved in a traffic accident or some other thing. And in the middle of the night, you might be called and you suddenly have to rouse yourself, um, turn on the light, get a paper and pen and write down the name of the patient, the room number, uh, other pertinent data that maybe somebody at a nurse's station is telling you. That's what happened to Ralph. Well, we said, well, that's wonderful, Ralph. Uh, thank you for answering the pager. But how would you know where to take a person if you're new to the afterlife yourself? He said, well, I don't know. And while he was saying, I don't know, he said, oh, my God, there's something like an escalator that just showed up. And there's people at the top of it waving at us to get on. All we have to do is get on and it'll take us up on its own. I don't I can't make this stuff up. Isn't that marvelous? He just Ralph just told us uh, all we need to do is get on this thing and we're going to be taken up. And that's all there is to it. Well, and as you might know from previous stories that I've told in this podcast, or especially in my books, we do go, we never tell any of these stories without going back and asking the principal character in it if it's, if we have their permission. And we did get that permission. I'll go on and to that in greater detail on the next podcast. But we've chosen not just to tell a story as I've just related it, but then the second part of going deeper into that story is what we are calling compassionate response. That is when people have heard this story through other podcasts or uh, retreats or just in the books, what questions have arisen, especially questions that arise from a suffering heart. I didn't write these books intending them necessarily to be grief support books, but they have found that niche. Sometimes the, the questions that people have that come up are really kind of uh, intellectual curiosity. But I found that most of the time it's deeper than that. And oftentimes it has something to do with suffering. Um, and of course the word compassion means to suffer with. So next time we'll go into some questions that are provoked by this short story, uh, particularly from the heart, how uh, hearing the story might've affected people who've heard it in the past and will uh, offer some ways of thinking that might be a comfort. And then finally, the third episode of this one um, story of Don and, and Ralph will go on to what I call spiritual practices. I, of course, am a Catholic priest coming from the Catholic Christian tradition and from within that, the Dominican uh, contemplative uh, mystical tradition so I'll offer some ideas about um, spiritual practices that might be inspired by or somehow related to the story of uh, Don and first responder Ralph. But for right now, that's the story in brief. So please join us next time as we go delve a little bit deeper into that story and into a compassionate response and later a spiritual practice related to this story. If you'd like to be in touch with me, please go to my website, which is nathan-castle.com. There's a contact form. It asks 
for one thing that you don't ask me questions that are answered in the book without first having read at least the first of the two afterlife interrupted books. So and they're easily available on Amazon, but it has a little form where you can provide your um, phone number and the uh, time zone in which you live. If we try to connect uh, uh, that way, or maybe I can just answer uh, a, a short question in an email, but anyway, email is the best way to, uh, to contact me. Please don't, contact me through Facebook Messenger and ask or reply there. Uh, I would immediately ask you to, to send me an email. I'm on it all the time. So anyway, God bless you, and I'll see you next time. This is the Joyful Friar. Thanks for being with us. Bye now. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Joyful Friar. You can visit me at nathan-castle.com. If you'd like to be in touch, please email me through the email icon in the upper left on the website. You can also make a donation. We're donation-based. If you'd like to do that, there's a donate button on the website. See you next time.